1170 AM, KGUM, Hagatni, Guam, is News Talk K57. Thinking Out Loud, your talk, your station, News Talk K57. Uh, thank you for joining us for yet another Tuesday evening where we'll go in-depth on some uh, complicated subjects. Um, you know, uh, how was your week? You know, obviously, you know, of course, uh, nothing much happened since we were last with you last Tuesday except, you know, a, uh, a spate of um, insurrection and uh, domestic terrorism inspired by President Trump that left five people dead, including a Capitol Police officer who was uh, bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher by a pro-Trump uh, domestic terrorist. So not much. And uh, who knows what will happen in the intervening uh, week between now and next week's show. You know, possibly uh, uh, Trump will go down in history as the first president and only president to be impeached twice by two separate Congresses. And, you know, but so, and I appreciate uh, a lot that's happening in the news. But, uh, uh, again, I thank you for joining for perhaps something different uh, away from the, uh, the toy moral of, uh, of uh, domestic terrorism and... Uh, lies about uh, the fairness of the last presidential election and the, uh, as the rest of the country and us as well. We're on pins and needles to see what happens next. Uh, there is concern about uh, massive violent uh, protests in the, uh, in the capitals in the days leading up to the inauguration of uh, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris. Um, that's going to consume a lot of attention, particularly since now from uh, last Wednesday's a domestic terrorism incident at the uh, at the Capitol building. We know people's lives are in danger, including that of our leaders. I mean, when the crowd is hunt, trying to hunt down the Speaker of the House and and uh, shouting, uh, you know, uh, out loud, uh, hang Mike Pence, then you know we're in a serious situation. But uh, the American Republic has persevered through many things, and and they will persevere through this. I have, I have no doubt. But. Uh, it's going to be an interesting week. Uh, certainly the last week is far more interesting than I thought it would be between the last Tuesday show and tonight's show. And um, let's hope that the upcoming week will have uh, a far less drama. Uh, going back to tonight's uh, agenda for the program, after the news at the top of the hour, we'll have uh, Teresa Ariola, who is uh, head of the Guam Behavior Wellness Center, and she will uh, uh, talk about their new efforts uh, to deal with the uh, mental health uh, uh, issues of, uh, in our community, including uh, the uh, issue uh, concern of uh, suicide and uh, other things that are happening in the Guam Behavioral Wellness Center. Uh, we will also have up uh, shortly uh, Edwin Rages, who is administrator of the um, uh, Guam Coastal Management Program, the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, and uh, we'll get an in-depth discussion about uh, the operations of, of that program. If anyone wants to um, uh, join the um, 
join the conversation. Our phone lines are open at 477-5757. That's 477-5757. We are broadcast live on News Talk K57 and 96.5 FM and are live on Facebook at News Talk uh, uh, at K57. Uh, also, uh, we are being streaming on pncguam.com and k57.com and are simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. Uh, a podcast of tonight's program will be posted later on this evening. It will be available on kp7.com. And also, uh, we'll be, um, uh, we'll be uh, 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 w- when the podcast is posted on kp7.com, the link to it will be posted on the Bureau's social media pages, including uh, the one for the Bureau itself, the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, one for the Coral Reef Initiative Program, which is under the Bureau, and on the, co- uh, the Guam Coastal Management Program, which uh, we will be examining... Uh, 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 as soon as we get uh, Edwin Rages uh, online, and I believe he is online. Is he, Edwin? Are you there? Are you there, Edwin? Uh, let's see. Are there? Hi, hi, can you hear me now? Oh, now I got you. Okay, Edwin. Thanks, Edwin, for joining us. Uh, we have with us Edwin Rages of the uh, Ministry of the Guam Coastal Management Program, which is a program on the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. And um, we're going to to geek out for the next 25 minutes and talk about one of the basic functions of the Coastal Management Program, which is a 100% federally funded program uh, by the federal government. And it is uh, extended to uh, states and territories that have a coast, of which there are some 36-some jurisdictions like, like that across the country. And for purposes of the Coastal Zone Management Program, the Great Lakes uh, is, cons- is if you have a coast with that, that's considered, you consider to have a coast. So in, uh, uh, in states in the heartland, like Indiana, they have a coast. And um, um, among the many functions of the, um, of the uh, Guam Coastal Management Program uh, is, uh, is also uh, dealing with issues of development and la- land use planning. Uh, because um, we are an island surrounded by a water, uh, and the coastal uh, management program concerns itself with uh, coasts and also geographic uh, features that feed into the coast and support it here. Basically, the entire Guam is, a, is, a, is, a, is considered a coast on the program. And the responsibility of the Guam Coastal Management Program and, uh, and by extension, the Bureau as a whole is to, is to be the land use planning agency and development planning agency for the government of Guam. Uh, and so, in part of that, there are a number of mandates under the program that are... are um, that the Bureau has to carry out uh, periodically. And we're going to get into, um, into uh, uh, one of them this evening with, uh, with Edwin. And uh, it's, um, it's a program um, uh, under the Coastal Zone uh, uh, Management Program. And uh, it's kind of refer- referred to as the 309 Enhancement Area Assessment uh, uh, and Strategy. And I think before we start about Edwin getting to that detail here, why don't you, for the folks listening here, uh, which is something I actually do every time you're on the program. Explain uh, the Guam Coastal Management Program and what it's mandated to under this federal program. Hey, uh, yes, hi. Well, um, I think you did an excellent job covering the um, basic information on what the Coastal Program is. As always, um, you have a sort of in-depth knowledge of what we do, and just want to thank you for the leadership that you have provided to us. The only thing I would add, really, is uh, just that uh, we are made up of 34 states and territories, which you covered that, and that we have been established for, for about 40 years now, uh, 41 years. And this is really through a um, very rigorous 
program setup process that the government of Guam went through with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Office for Coastal Management, which outlined kind of the steps and the programmatic uh, focus um, in order to get a program approved. So we operate through a cooperative agreement, meaning that the feds have a really close um, uh, interest and also close participation in the way that we execute our coastal resources management. So any any projects that we get involved in terms of smart resource uh, uh, smart resource development or smart growth or any uh, planning initiatives, those have to go through a review process in which the federal government um, it, uh, plays plays a role as a partner. Part of the 309 process, if, I, if you'd like me to jump into this 309 enhancement uh, section, is uh, I, I think your show is uh, appropriately named the Data Hub. And, and what we do with the enhancement side is uh, really look at the data that shows how these different enhancement areas are changing. And that data can take multiple, multiple forms. They could be linear, they could be geographic, they could be uh, species related or geological, uh, geologically related and so it's certainly very very dynamic and complex and this is where we really rely on the characterization which certainly data drives that and helps inform that decision. Uh, very good. Now, now uh, uh, Edwin, I'm going to ask you to pause for a minute. We have a caller on the other line on and as is sometimes happens in this program, an entirely different subject, but I like to at least give them a, a chance to voice whatever is on their mind. So, uh, average Joe, I believe he's, he's calling the other line. Are you there? Yeah. And, hello. and you want to um, give a comment on homeless stats? Homeless. <coughs> that, uh, I, I think you're going to bring it up later on the program, but I, I sorry, I, I, uh, I no, uh, please do something. Up and uh, we have statistics about it uh, shared later. Regards the uh, homeless, the homeless mm -hmm. population in Guam uh, mm -hmm. during the lockdown, has it affected them uh, with regards to uh, suicide, suicide? Uh, okay. Any data on that? Uh, well, you want, uh, you want uh, I tell you what, uh, Teresa Ariola will be on the program like after the 7 o'clock news, so I can question about, about, um, about how the, uh, homelessness and how that impacts, uh, uh, particularly during the COVID-19 uh, shutdown. Um, those specific stats. So if you, could, um, if, uh, you, I, I, if you could call back after the 7 o'clock news, I'll have an, I'll have an expert. Uh, online or uh, in charge of the program that can, can answer your question more directly. But we certainly will bring up if, uh, regardless if you call or not, and we'll take a note. Thank you, Joe, for uh, calling in. So, Edwin, we're, we're back to, um, to your subject matter. Uh, please continue. Edwin, are you there? Ah, okay, okay, there we go. So we we're, we're talking about the 309 Enhancement Areas Assessment and, uh, and Strategy. And so you're in, I, I interrupted you for a caller calling about homeless statistics to uh, uh, just to give him a chance to voice in so we didn't keep him online for a two period of time. But go ahead and continue okay. because hang on, folks, this is a kind of complicated subject we have to kind of wade through in order to uh, fully explain it. So go ahead, Edwin. So, um, so these enhancement areas, there are nine of them, and, and then um, you have to remember that this, uh, these enhancement areas kind of speak to the different features across the nation. So while some um, may not be so um, kind of re relevant to Guam, certainly other areas uh, may be dealing with issues concerning those enhancement areas. And and so what I can uh, I'll go through a few of them and kind of explain what the features of these enhancement areas are 
and then uh, also some of the efforts that we uh, have to go through to assess um, the, the status of those enhancement areas. So, for example, the first one, um, the first one on the list is wetlands. And wetlands, you can think of um, very like marsh areas where there are tidally, it could be tidally influenced. There's constantly water in there. Florida Everglades, Florida Everglades would be certainly um, uh, considered a very large uh, wetland. Other uh, uh, states have wetlands such as Georgia. Uh, for Guam, um, you know, we, we, we don't have uh, too many wetlands in terms of our geo uh, geology and, um, and um, land, land makeup. So wetlands uh, certainly is not, hasn't, while important to us, and they, and they do exist on, on the island, in terms of a programmatic focus, they're, they're, um, the data is showing that um, it's not of a, a concern to the program in terms of trying to enhance what we're already doing to protect wetlands. Meaning it's it's, it's 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 proceeding well, the the whole uh, balance between wetlands and development. It is, yeah, because mm -hmm. that's heavily regulated by the EPA. It's regulated by the Army Corps of Engineers, and uh, there's just uh, permitting in place to to develop in wetlands. So all of those rules and regulations to protect that and the functions of that wetland are in place. So it's. Um, uh, there's no need for our coastal program to invest into enhancing that because uh, right now, according, you know, uh, um, right now, based on observation, based on uh, partner input, based on network agency participation, wetlands is not a concern for us to, uh, us to, us to pursue. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, we have to go to the second phase. We have to look at uh, change analysis maps that, that maps out the current wetland boundary and we monitor it monitor that over years just to be sure we're not losing wetland at an accelerator rate and so um, wetlands are, uh, are maintained on island which is which is a big thing mm -hmm. and um, we're, we just got to keep uh, making sure that that, that, is a, uh, that trend continues okay uh, so that those are one of the precepts into the current uh, uh, 309 uh, enhancement uh, and, and strategy yeah. here. So, so what are the yeah. other? And we're in the process of, of preparing a new um, enhancement and assessment and, and strategy. Uh, the last one being about five years ago, right? And so this is periodically asked that we have to do every every five years. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's correct. And and this first phase one assessment is really that detailed um, uh, assessment that uh, that we draw on the science and the data to help us characterize the state of that that, um, that resource. Um, and then, so when we go through all of the ranking all, all nine, we actually have to go through all nine of these. We, we uh, can't choose uh, to not accept all the nine areas. Then we go to the second phase. And that second phase really is the prioritization phase where we're going to look at, okay, out of the nine, and based on um, the, the emerging issues and, and the data, then we kind of prioritize that. So an overall description of both phase one and phase two is basically a, a data-based prioritization uh, 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 phase, uh, a, a process as opposed to one that is uh, maybe, maybe on personal um, you know, whims. It's this one is based on data in order to determine what the strategy will be and where the focus will be. Would that be an accurate way of summing that up? Absolutely. Okay. Data is going to be critical to assessing these, uh, these areas. And without data, you, we couldn't be able to properly determine what what issues they're facing so um, 
the, the way that our program is built is that uh, we have to understand where those data, where to mine the data. And over the years, we developed the institutional knowledge to understand who has the data on coastal uh, public access, who has the data on Marine DB, which is us, and who has, who has the data on these other areas. So data definitely is the key, and and, it, and, um, and this is why I love the show, because it mm. talks about the importance of data, and, and I think that's one of the great functions of the Bureau in the, in the planning information program side is that it's able to serve as a kind of a, a focal point to be able to look to and, and see how uh, we can mine data and hopefully not to duplicate the research necessary, but to be able to leverage existing uh, data that's collected throughout the various government agencies. Okay. So um, this is the features that go into uh, uh, development of this enhanced assessment and strategy here. Perhaps you could take the listeners uh, as to uh, where the end products of this would, would be like. In other words, what's the, how does this enhancement assessment and, and, st and the development of the strategy, how does that um, impact in terms of um, other policies or land use policies or in, f or in fact into uh, uh, real life applications to, um, to a planning and regulatory process that have an impact on, on how things develop and how, and how important resources are, are protected. Maybe just, obviously you're in the middle of, the, of this process now, so you can't say exactly what will happen here, but give the, see if you can give the listeners a sense of to what this thing impacts on. Yeah, so, um, so for example, one of the other enhancement areas is public access. Mm -hmm. And at the time, that was a, that was a concern for the program, as you can imagine, when uh, Tumon was being developed. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of you know hotels coming up. They're wanting to invest and um, uh, create a, a a built environment down here for the tourists to enjoy and for tourism to work. And in that process, there is the public access to the shoreline law that um, maybe wasn't followed uh, um, to the T. Mm -hmm. in, in a lot of the development. So the program came in and we said, okay, we need to mm -hmm. uh, educate the permitters on this, this requirement to protect public access to our shoreline. And we started to map it out. So we mapped out the um, uh, areas that, that we, we identified as public access points. And we worked with the hotel to let them know, hey, here's the law, here's where the sign is gonna go. And we installed signage along Tumon uh, to ensure that you know folks can see the sign and that they're comfortable walking through that uh, hotel or that access road uh, to the beach because that access is a right and um, and this is one way that we step in to help protect public access and some of our signs are still up there uh, up to date. Um, in another practical sense, we have to maintain them so we will be working to replace the signs that um, that, that are no longer there. But certainly, a, one of the factory applications is uh, that, that certainly is one very real, um, real example of how we work to increase public access to our shoreline. As an example, uh, uh, but uh, also I guess uh, it sort of overlaps with other work which the bureau does. One of which, right now, is of course the uh, development of the territorial seashore protection plan. Um, mm -hmm. Just just to uh, give people a, a picture where this is, is that the basis for uh, land regulation, like through zoning laws and uh, and uh, and regulations, and the administration of the Guam Land Use Commission, the base of that is the, something called the Comprehensive Development Plan that was last updated uh, a half century ago. But that defines uh, the the nature and the dynamics and 
and the interests that are the basis for land use development island. Now there, as far as I can recall, I don't think there ever has been as one for that has been actually developed for the seashore, for the coastal areas, uh, even though that is mandated by statute. And um, uh, probably just got lost in considering, uh, and maybe not considered priority by, um, by prior administrations, but uh, I don't recall actually being done. So um, one of the, uh, one of the uh, uh, priorities of the Bureau is to uh, work with uh, uh, partners so that go home and find a, a basis by which to do the territorial seashore uh, protection plan. And because of that, um, the Bureau for maybe, I think maybe the first time in history, I'm, I'm not sure, applied for uh, a program called the uh, Coastal Fellowship Program. Now this is a program ran by the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. And basically under this program, uh, NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, will fund an academic researcher for two years uh, at the cost to, uh, to Guam taxpayers of $7,500 a year per year for, the, for, a, uh, for a full a tr uh, trained academic researcher. And so this is a competitive process. I think it's awarded to maybe eight or nine jurisdictions uh, acro across the country. And um, uh, Guam did uh, submit a proposal for, for research. Uh, and uh, it, uh, it got through the process. And we are now have on, on place a, uh, a large day, almost like 90% funded, federally funded uh, researcher to write the Territorial Seashore Protection Plan. Her name is uh, Chelsea uh, Willits, and we've had her on the program before, and we'll have her on the program later this year as she develops her work. But uh, is, is it not true that some of this work that you're doing that, uh, now, uh, Edwin, it, it will it will impact on something like this, the Territorial Seashore Protection Plan? It, it will, and one of the um, uh, one of the reasons why this uh, enhancement area will impact the work on the Seashore Reserve Plan is because that's what our partners have uh, come out and stated. Right now, the Bureau is taking uh, a much more um, larger role in leading and, and executing its planning authority, and people are seeing the benefits of that. And with the Seashore Reserve Plan itself and the work that the fellow is doing, some of our, our strategies that we're developing in the enhancement areas will work to augment the, um, the work that she's doing. And primarily, some of the ideas that are coming out is that community engagement piece. Chelsea is one person, and we need to get that plan out to the villages of the, of the north, central, and south. And for one person to, you know, realistically do host, host these community events, it's going to be too big. And so we're going to use some of these resources to be able to, to do that event planning and that coordination to provide the collateral to ensure that we can create those visuals that help to convey the substance of the plan at that community level. You see, um, and, I, and I think if I could enter, uh, Edwin here, as with the many things which the Bureau does, the interests of, um, of the, uh, involved in, in, in developing these, um, these initiatives here, they go far beyond uh, the Bureau or even, uh, even the government. It goes to the heart of uh, the community's interest. Um, in developing a sea, uh, something like the Territorial Seashore Protection Plan, if um, me and Edwin and Chelsea went off the corner and out a plan, that would not have amounted to anything effective here because it would not have the community's involvement or support or input. Uh, it's, it's not a coming plan that, that me or anybody else in the Bureau wants, uh, wants to see in the plan. It's something the community has to decide what it wants to see in the plan. And, and given um, uh, the importance uh, uh, to everyone of uh, uh, coastal areas here, right now we don't have a territorial seashore protection plan. It's, a it's not that it's unregulated. It's been it's been uh, uh, certain things have been applied to that uh, 
um, yeah, like the uh, like the Rump, the Record Shoes Master Plan, and the Marine Preserves. Uh, but these are all sort of segmentized, piecemeal approach. And there's never been a coordinated approach uh, to d defend and protect our, our seashores and our, and our uh, submerged lands. And so that's that's what this is involved in here. And, and if you're going to take up something that monumental uh, for seashore protection for an island, you really have need to get the community's involvement and input. And so you come with a plan that's not all not only effective in protecting resources and in uh, providing for balanced development, but pr but uh, reflects the community's values. So to do that, we need to Absolutely. go out to the community. I'm sorry, I have interrupted you, and, and we only have like five minutes left, and you have some something to do uh, um, at the 7 o'clock, and we have the CBS Radio News, so I'm going to give you this last five minutes to get in, or sort of complete the discussion as best you can uh, uh, about what you're doing. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, very well said, and I, I um, you know, I just want to thank you again for that uh, emphasis on that community involvement. And so the 309 uh, project, uh, one of the main strategies will rest on that community involvement, and that certainly works to fulfill our mandates of ensuring that everyone's involved in the planning process. The last uh, second strategy that we'll have will work more towards kind of internal operations, and this is going to look at cumulative and secondary impacts. And when you think of cumulative and secondary impacts, they really happen at that development level. And, and one of the ways to be able to kind of monitor the trends is to build a geo-database um, and help kind of capture those data sets and, and provide some uh, analysis in the future based, uh, that, that helps us understand the trends in development. Um, and this focus will be just in turn to GCMP and, uh, and one of the reasons why is that the whole, uh, you know, the, the alignment of data, the uh, overall government autom automation, this overhaul of IT, that's just too large for what we can accomplish in the strategy. So we can just get our planners internally to do a geodatabase for data consistency, an application review committee, and other features that we want to start collecting long-term geospatial information and house that in a solid system that we build and we administer and that we're not um, kind of dependent on a third-party contract, uh, third-party uh, support that you know could change depending on who wins the contract. This uh, would help to institutionalize the process and also really uh, protect that, that data that, um, that, that we produce. And I'll stop there. Oh, you sure? You got, you got a couple more minutes. If anything you want to add into it, uh, no, uh, I, I think you, uh, you can uh, close it out. I, um, okay, and you have to get on the road because you have, uh, I think, uh, something to do at seven o'clock, and we have something to do at seven o'clock with the CBS radio. So, thank you, Edwin Rages, administrator of the Guam Coastal Management Program, uh, for joining us uh, to discuss uh, the, the ongoing work of the program which he administers, the Guam Coastal Management Program. Uh, which is uh, a program under the uh, Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, this is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. We are broadcast live on News Talk K57 and uh, also on 96.5 FM. We are live on Facebook at News Talk K57 and uh, streaming live from pncguam.com and k57.com. We also simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. Uh, and, then, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, we uh, will have after the top of the hour uh, online with uh, Teresa Ariola uh, from the Guam Behavior Wellness Center, and she'll update it to what's new happening with the uh, 
with the Guam Rehab Rona Center. They uh, they just made an announcement today of something uh, uh, something new happening uh, with the Bureau, particularly with respect to suicide. We had a caller earlier who raised the issue about homelessness and suicide, and we'll bring this matter up to, to her. Uh, again, uh, thank you all for joining me after a uh, very dramatic week uh, since last time uh, we were on the air. Um, the uh, breaching of the Capitol for so the first time since the War of 1812, uh, an act of blatant domestic terrorism that left five dead, including Capitol Police officers bludgeoned to death, and an ongoing, uh, ongoing uh, coup by Donald Trump to overturn the results of an election he lost by 8 million votes. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, 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 with the next week here. Uh, again, another probably historic moment is Donald Trump will probably become the first president and only president uh, to be impeached twice by two separate Congresses uh, for basically insurrection and basically inciting to riot and, uh, and the responsibility he has for the mayhem, destruction, and death of five people last Wednesday. So this is the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. Please join me at the top of the hour. And uh, I, I, I gave that sort of description of what happened last Wednesday because God only knows what fresh hell the CBS radio news at the top of our is going to reveal to all of us for what Donald Trump is doing and the, and the work that's being done to defend our democracy. So with that, I'll see you at, after the, uh, the uh, 7 o'clock CBS evening news, and, uh, and in which case we'll talk about um, uh, even uh, another uh, uh, trying subject, which is the incidence of suicide and silence. So thank you all. We'll see you after the... Uh, after the top of the hour, and uh, I think the new uh, the music they'll, they'll put in is um, "Emerge from Fisher Spooner." Is that right? So, that's the one from uh, 2001. If anyone's wondering where that music came from, thank you all. See you after the CBSC Radio News. Thinking out loud. Your talk, your station, Newstalk K57. Sharpen the tools in your shed. Your talk, your station, Newstalk K57. The views expressed on this show belong to the show hosts, guests, and callers and do not represent Sorensen Media Group in any way, shape, or form. This show serves in the public's interest and SMG reserves the right to maintain control of the show as to keep within the guidelines of the FCC. If you have any comments or complaints, you can contact SMG. At SMG, we strive to present the best product we can. We value your opinion and we thank you so much for listening and tuning in to News Talk K57. You are here. Your talk, your station, News Talk K57.
Welcome back to the show. Hi, this is Data Hub with Tyron Teichner. I'm Ben Gary Tyron Teichner, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, we are broadcast live on News Talk KFT7 and at 96.5 FM. Uh, we are also simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. And anyone wants to catch a podcast of the program, that will be posted later on this evening on KFT7.com. And then eventually on the Bureau of Statistics and Plans three social media pl- pages, one for the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, one for the Coral Reef Initiative, and another one for the Guam Coastal Management Program. And we had a discussion with the administrator of the Guam Coastal Management Program, uh, Edwin Rages, uh, before the CBS News, which on the way to it, I, uh, I noted the uh, dramatic events of this week here and wondering what fresh hell the new CBS Radio News was going to reveal to us. And as it turns out, Aside from concern about continued domestic terrorism in uh, Washington, D.C., by, uh, uh, incited by Donald Trump and carried out by his supporters, uh, is that we now have concerns about it happening in, in states across the country. Uh, apparently, we don't uh, face a concern, some similar concern here, but you know, uh, as they uh, track down and arrest the people, part of that act of uh, storming the Capitol building and desecrating the, the halls of the Capitol and, uh, and, uh, and uh, threatening. Uh, uh, lives and actually causing the death of five people, including a Capitol Police officer who was bludgeoned to death by the uh, Trump mob with a uh, fire extinguisher. Uh, one of them was apparently a retired, uh, decorated, retired uh, Air Force um, uh, a veteran, a uh, retired lieutenant colonel. So, so who knows the sort of people that get involved in, the, in the, this sort of nonsense. Uh, not nonsense, but it's but certain threats to our democracy and to our safety, and if not the values of uh, human decency, um, all for the sake of uh, of a lie perpetrated by Donald Trump for the last two months that he actually won the presidential election, which he lost by eight million votes, but refused to accept because you know he's he's Donald Trump, and he will go down in history as never mentioned as the worst president in history. Worse then than James Buchanan, who actually mismanaged the country into a civil war before Abraham Lincoln took, uh, took office. Uh, worse than Herbert Hoover, who plunged the country into a, into a depression. Uh, worse than Richard Nixon, who was, uh, almost did get impeached, but had to resign his grace in Watergate. So uh, because of, uh, of Donald Trump, we're on, we on watch for domestic terrorism. We're on, uh, uh, we've already had five people dead. And uh, who knows what will happen between tonight's program and when we f- next get back on the air. But to go uh, move from this onto a subject that is uh, uh, maybe not as, as hugely uh, dramatic on the national and international stage right now, but still an important and serious concern, is Teresa Ariola from the Guam Behavior Wellness Center. Teresa, are you there? Yes, thank you for having me. And you have news to us tonight about the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline Network, I think, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, We released today uh, to the public um, some very good news. Um, Guam Behavioral Health um, has been working on this initiative for six months, but it's actually been on the radar for Guam Behavioral Health for many, many, many years. Um, What uh, the focus and the priority within the last six months or this administration when I came in started when I first attended my first mental health conference in 2019 when uh, the Leon Guerrero-Tenori administration first came on board, which is, by the way, the only conference I've attended so far because 2020 was canceled because of COVID. But so, it, but the uh, conference gave you great leads of what to do, right? the 2019 
Mental Health Conference, National Conference, this was like a major topic of discussion about how the states and the territories needed to get on board with regards to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And so today I'm, I'm, I'm so honored and, and uh, to announce to the people of Guam that uh, Guam Behavioral Health was awarded and uh, we have achieved the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline membership. And that is months of working with the National uh, Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline, which is a lifeline that's available, a 1-800 number, uh, 1-800-273-TALK, which is available for any U.S. citizen calling from any territory or the United States. And so um, we've been working on this. We actually were good to go since November time, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, believe it or not, it was the glitch was not on our side. The glitch was on the national telecommunications side. So after weeks of testing, you know, retesting the call, um, we finally uh, cleared the test. They, they, they were so pleased that Guam uh, applied and was working towards this. By the way, we're the first territory to get this, and the and furthest one, the furthest one away from the mainland membership um, in the region to get this. Wow! And so this is really a big deal. This is another resource to our people because some people, for whatever reason, they have a maybe they're googling, maybe they're in crisis and they're googling, and maybe you know um, they found a one eight hundred suicide lifeline and they called. But the key thing is prior to today, prior to today, Ty, mm -hmm. a lot of people have actually called the 1-800 number from 671 area code uh, phone mm -hmm. that got immediate um, assistance from the lifeline in the state, mm -hmm. but would, could not be diverted for follow-up services on Guam. So when, the question when, when they were most vulnerable. Did these people get any, did they walk in and we didn't know them? Did they walk into Guam Behavioral Health and sought follow-up health? Mm -hmm. We don't know. We're hoping. We're hoping. Well, you so know, this is really a big deal. Uh, it's really, really a big deal. We're Guam is the first territory and we're the only crisis center that's part of the Lifeline Network in the region. In, in, in the region. Now, can you imagine, by the way, Teresa, what, what, how difficult this would have been if we had not been admitted to the North American numbering system? Uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, you and I were very proud to be part of that Democratic administration as well, the yeah. Guterres, the Bergaglio administration. And, and, that and our, and our good friend Bob Kelly. The, Bob Kelly, he's spearheaded um, this. The numbering plan being part of the U.S. numbering plan. You and I both know that prior to that, the calls to the state was like international calls you know like in the dollars yeah because they were international so, calls know, not domestic ones in yeah. going to college and our family members talking to them today is nothing it's yeah. like you know less than 10 cents because of that numbering plan um inclusion which happened what 25 years ago right during the guterres Regalia administration well, so would, you know which sort of raises the really question helped. Which sort of anyway. raised the question, since we've been part of the numbering system for 25 years, why is it taking 25 years to actually do this? Because the, I cannot uh, answer for it. Yeah, but, I but you know what? Well, no. All I know is I'm excited because we did it. Absolutely. So Absolutely. And, and, I, I and you did it, Teresa. Thank you very I much. I can't answer why 
uh, why Guam or why the department did not pursue or make this a priority of initiative, I, I don't know why. Well, I, no I, I raise that question because it, 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 it's sort of your experience in this. It's sort of, I think, reflective of, uh, that a number of us have found who have been uh, privileged to serve uh, Governor Luliangar and Lieutenant Governor Josh Norman for the last couple of years of, of stuff that could have been done that don't actually cost uh, a lot of money or any money at all and that would have been enormous benefit not to the government but to the, but to the community. And for one reason or another, uh, we're never taken up. I, in, the, in the first block before you were uh, with us, um, I was talking to Edwin Rages from the Guam Coastal Management Program, and we were talking about how, uh, through a competitive process, we were able to access a, uh, to get a coastal fellow, fellowship for Guam uh, from the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. Congratulations. Yes. So well, she, she's again live, how come we haven't tried before? Yes. And, and, and guess what? And, 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 and what I was first told, when I, because I had the same question when I was briefed on this, so why haven't we tried for this before? CNMI has gotten this before us. Yeah. A and, and, and I was told is, is that, well, we didn't have the money, so how much does it cost each year? $7,500 for a full-time academic $7, researcher. $7,500 is a drop Yeah, for, for, for two years. And, and we have her working on the uh, Territorial Seashore Protection Plan, which is, is, is important and will contribute to protecting the resources of the she to the seashore and the coastal area. Um, you know, and on a coordinated approach here, something we're not, ha and you know, and almost no money to uh, to us, and you just had to go through the effort to reach it and, and be you innovative know, and work those resources all I can to do so. Say is um, is you know, I can't really answer for previous administrators. You and I can't answer no. for the priorities of previous administrations. Mm -hmm. But all I know is that that's the key word. The prioritization and and, and and having the wherewithal to actually um, take be innovative and 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 look for ways even in all these well, tight fiscal times to actually get something done. When I done. attended my first mental health conference as the director of Guam Behavioral Health, and this was like an overarching, mm -hmm. like overarching suicide was like the overarching theme of that year's conference. And you know, I kept hearing about this lifeline and. You know, they had a, they had several sessions on it, and I attended, and, I'm, and it baffled me. Why aren't we here? Why, mm -hmm. why, you know, and I thought, okay, maybe there's some, I don't know, maybe there's something, because it seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah, 1-800 numbers work on Guam. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. I came back, and that was in 2019, and I came back, and I called a meeting together, and I said, and I, rem and I recall being briefed on this during transition about this lifeline. So the point is, is Guam Behavioral Health has always aspired to get it, mm -hmm. but it was just been part of that, you know, large number, you know, everybody has lists of wish lists, right? Mm -hmm. so, so it was just part of a wish list, but I, I couldn't grasp why it wasn't a priority when suicide is such a major issue on Guam. And, and just so, and just to expand, it's a nationwide network of what 160 crisis centers are across the country uh, that uh, right. that we, we have we tap into this network and, and it's meant to be a national coverage and we're so, part of the national right. coverage. So what the key the key here is that if you if you found yourself in crisis and for whatever reason, I mean nowadays I hope and I pray that a lot of people know the direct number for the Guam Behavioral Health Crisis Center. Well, I mean, hotline. Do you, want, do you want to repeat it right now? I don't. 
Do you want to repeat it right now? It's, Which uh, is, by the way, 647-8833. Mm-hmm. 647-8833. One thing that the, the COVID pandemic has, has uh, positively attributed to is the fact that a lot more homes know of this Guam Behavioral Health Crisis Hotline, which is 647-8833 or 34. But for whatever reason, if some some resident of ours find themselves not knowing it or can't access it, and maybe they're online and they're Googling suicide hotline and the 1-800 number pops up, um, then, then um, the fact that we're part of the network now, let me tell you how this falls on the ground. You call the 1-800 number, it's registered that you have a 671 number. Mm-hmm. The person that answers it on the National Hotline Center will, will, will immediately diffuse the situation and take care of that individual in crisis. They don't just transfer it to Guam, back to Guam. Mm-hmm. They take care, they, they try to you know, take care of immediate crisis intervention. Once that's done, then, of course, they say, you have a Guam Behavior Health and I'm going to transfer you now to your local crisis center so that you can do follow-up work. And, and that handoff is just so important. That handoff is key. And let me just share with, with you and the people who are listening. It is so key because for five years, the data is showing that over 1,300 calls from a 671 prefix, mm-hmm. called the 1-800 suicide crisis hotline, got immediate, you know, services, but didn't were not, but zero calls were able to be transferred or to be um, sent back to Guam so that this person from a 671 number can get local follow-up services that's key because you don't just you know somebody who's in crisis who's thinking of taking their life that's that's not a one-time shot immediate you know talk to one person for five minutes or ten minutes or whatever it is half an hour and they're fine this is this is built up built up anxiety and depression that needs serious follow-up and a series of follow-ups and services so that, that handoff is key. And like I said, for the last, um, the data shows from the crisis hotline, we get it all the time. Mm-hmm. From 2015 to 2019, over 1,300 calls were made from Guam to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, yet zero, zero calls were connected to a local crisis hotline. Local health, local health, and not to be alarmist, but who knows who was who was lost because and that handoff was not there. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't track. I, like I said, I pray to God that these people have were able to come somehow into us, but we don't know. Today, in 2020, there was a release from the national hotline that, for the first six months, which remember included COVID. Mm-hmm. Right? Because COVID started in March. Right. 129 calls 
for six months came and sought 1-800 number. So again, zero, zero were diverted to Guam or Guam Behavioral Health for follow-up services. If, if I can pause for a minute there, Therese, we have a call in line. He called for a first block, and he had an inquiry about if there are any uh, stats or um, what's the assessment of the situation of uh, the homelessness, particularly with threat to suicide during the COVID-19 emergency. His name is Joe. Uh, so, Joe, are you on the line? Yes. Okay, I have with us Therese Ariola, head of the Guam Behavioral Wellness Center. You want to pose your question, and we'll see what we can do to, to answer as much as we can. I think she already answered some of it. Uh, oh, well. Zero calls were, were uh, diverted to 671. Uh, sorry, that's, uh, to that, that's from the uh, national hotline. Services, and, uh, and uh, there were, what, 1,200 calls? That's just the start of the, of the study. Uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. once we determine who, what the demographic is of these callers, uh, their age groups, uh, their, their, uh, you know, personal life, their situations, the the cause mm -hmm. of their um, of their uh, you know. Oh, I see. We seem to have lost them, but uh, Therese, uh, I, I know among them many functions. You know, and it, uh, there's, he mentioned the online um, or the one eight hundred number, but of course you have an ongoing, a local crisis hotline, an ongoing care program for. Uh, right, and yeah. so. So really what happens is with this 1-800 number, it gets connected to our crisis line. Mm -hmm. So immediately the 1-800 number gets diverted into a single crisis hotline. So we're capturing all the numbers into our 1-8, into our 647-8833 which, which, uh, which allows for follow-up and, and sort of case analysis for, uh, for individual clients uh, uh, seeking help. Um, do you have, uh, at this point here, I mean, uh, COVID-19 is, uh, is am I wrong, has it increased the demand uh, of, on the cri local crisis hotline? Has that been your experience? Oh, absolutely. Um, since COVID, our crisis hotline has increased volume by 2,000%. Wow. 2,000%. And, and, and it's alarming, but it's a good data, because what does that mean? That that those people are seeking help and mm -hmm. not trying to deal with things on their own. Well, so they, they've often the said that the number might be alarming, right. but the, the good side about that is that they're seeking help. And with the new access to the new national hotline, we have an additional service uh, from which they can try to seek help. Right. Uh, and the most vulnerable for, moments again, they have. For whatever reason, if a resident can't find the 647-883 number, mm -hmm. and maybe they're online and they Google and they a 1-800-SUICIDE, national hotline comes on they will get they can call that number get immediate in, get immediate crisis services and then our network because of the guam behavioral health uh, uh, partnership now will divert them back to guam behavioral health mm -hmm. and and follow-up services can be done and part of the uh, aggregate data that you accumulated over the past years, in the, uh, particularly in the COVID-19 period, uh, one of the things the, uh, that the previous caller was, was mentioning is the connection between homelessness and uh, suicide. Is there, uh, at this point, is there anything in the data that, um, that you know, uh, certainly, uh, certainly the homeless problems involved in a number of, uh, of health challenges, both physical and, and, and mental. 
uh, uh, that contributes to the homeless problem. So I was wondering if there was anything revealed by the data that might collect, give us an insight as, as how the homeless and, and suicide, or is there, is, is it, um, is there nothing uh, coming from the data well, itself that reveals any particular distinction? Unfortunately, yeah. um, every year mm -hmm. we put out um, the Guam Epidemiological Outcome uh, work, work Group, which is the SOL, known as the SOL Report. Um, so we, our latest report was in 2019 mm -hmm. because 2020 numbers, the only people who really know that the, the cause of death is our, our, is our medical examiner. Right. Uh, we wouldn't know. We mm. wouldn't know unless we happen to know. Ah. But really in the end of the day, the medical examiner would, would, would determine whether this person died of, by suicide. Yeah, yeah. And, so, unless, unless he was already so a client that you were tracking that, the moment. That yeah. data gets turned over to us, and we're expecting that any time because oh. it's January. And then um, our soul group and our, our epidemiologist, Dr. Annette David, will, will analyze those numbers, and a report will come out shortly. Well, uh, but I, I can tell you hmm. from the, the trend from 2018 to 2019, was a downward trend, which was a good thing. Mm -hmm. But it'll be interesting to see what that trend looks like at 2020 numbers. Right. Given that there is, we had this major thing called COVID that just disrupted our lives. Uh, yes, and in, 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 in terms of economic dislocation and so and the resulting social stresses and uh, yes, even even the lockdown, stresses. the isolation from so lockdown has its own stress. Just to correlate it with you know, the demand of, um, or the increase of volume with anxiety and depression. Um, if I was to uh, align it, my best guess would be there would be an increase. Mm. Well, you know, uh, uh, but we, we look, wouldn't know. No, we, until the report comes out. out. And, you know, I can go and come back and we can talk more about that report when it comes out. Because that report not only talks about suicide, but it talks about uh, tobacco and, and drinking. Um, right. Well, um, yeah. well that um, report yeah. will be also useful in a number of ways. As you know, um, Governor Lulian Girl and Lieutenant Governor Tenorio are embarking the development of an uh, integrated homelessness strategy at the moment. Right. And certainly the approach has to do with the uh, addressing issues of continuum of care and uh, and the number of stresses that contribute to the homeless problem. So when that data comes comes out and your and your people have a chance to uh, interpret and analyze it, that'll be a very useful in, in terms of developing a comprehensive, effective strategy. To strategy, deal with the homeless strategy on the island, uh, Therese, Joe, and, and honestly, with 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 the standing up, with the administration standing up, a, a true, a true and immediate, um, or a real, maybe I should say, a real, it's not just lip service of you know we want to take care of the homeless. I mean, everybody says that, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. We want to do something about the homeless. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it's in the situation. There's even been attempts in previous administrations to do something about it, but nothing ever came about it. Mm -hmm. This administration has stood up um, a, a true shelter, mm -hmm. and I know they're looking at how do we, after, after COVID funds are exhausted, how do we continue that? I can tell you that discussions, I'm in those discussions, mm -hmm. and I'm probably in those discussions because I'm, you know, with Guam Behavioral Health, servicing the global 
the global homeless shelter right now uh, with services. Um, one of the things is, and also because of my background with sanctuary, sanctuary and a lot of homeless grants, is that, and now with the stand-up with Sarah Thomas Netadog as the director of mm -hmm. OHAP, how do we get the office of excuse me, the office of homeless to continue? Therese, real, real quick. Therese, real shelter. quick. I just, I, I like to um, keep the audience along by every once in a while explaining uh, acronyms. So OHAC is the Office of Homeless Assistance um, Center. I think is that how that works. Is that the, do I got the title right? Sarah Thomas. OHAC is the office. Yes, it's the Office of Homeless Assistance. Ho so homeless that assistance. is a new yeah. initiative. Yeah through executive order that was that Governor Lulian Guerrero and the Lieutenant Governor has put out and we have been meeting regularly. It's an open public meeting. Media is there all the time. Mm -hmm. They talk about of course the global dorm, which is the current um, shelter for the homelessness. But it's all about integrating services for the homelessness because it's not just about the home not being there. It's how did how did our brothers and sisters, Micronesian brothers and sisters, and when I say Micronesian, that includes Chamorros, mm -hmm. kids, we're from Micronesia. Mm -hmm. How do we, as the Micronesian people, how did we get here? How, how in the world did we get it so that our people are finding themselves in a situation where they're not just homeless like shelter lists, but what, what are those causes, what are those root causes? And a lot of it is, you know, drug addiction, a lot of it is no skills, no job skills. Um, of course, having shelter is important. So, you know, transportation, how did these, how did our people, how did our residents get to the point where they are homeless? Well, and addressing those root causes so that homelessness can finally be eradicated. Yeah, and, and that sort of speaks to um, uh, the uh, the uh, in, 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 in the issues that are involved in coming with the Coleman strategy, which is also has to go beyond uh, creating a uh, a homeless shelter, but dealing with the the stresses that contribute to homelessness, including health issues, including mental health issues, and why the, the what you're talking about is so important here. And uh, I know right. and uh, having uh, have them having these folks access services so that there's some stability in their lives. So that they can hold down a job, so that they don't turn to drugs and alcohol to cope. So these services are so important. How do we have access to service? And so again, that wraps around back to the reason why I'm on the show. Right. Another service to to provide the people of Guam. And in my own and in my own discussion with Sarah Tom uh, Thomas Netadogs, I know she's been working on coming as developing a homelessness strategy, a comprehensive one. She's been looking at various models to do it, including uh, the healthcare health prevention model, which speaks to some of you're talking about dealing with the, uh, the healthcare service and the social work services that are necessary to uh, deal with the stresses that actually continue to homeless beyond not access to emergency housing. Uh, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs uh, has been promoting a similar approach with their, with their homeless patient aligned care teams uh, for veterans, and they're like, yeah, 60 of those teams across the country. So this holistic model is, is, is the way to go. Uh, I, yeah, have I, think, I think, you know, with Sarah and her background, mm -hmm. and she is, you know, the director, the newly appointed director of OHAP, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, this, this 
a homeless interagency council that has been that was established by executive order by Governor Liu and chaired by Lieutenant Governor Joshua Tenorio. Mm -hmm. It really is about merging and bringing together all these wonderful agencies and nonprofit organizations that are doing good work for Guam, mm -hmm. but intersecting and making sure that there are no overlaps and that we that um, that we're we're working together versus working everybody working their own thing and sometimes there's overlap. Yeah. And making sure and 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 so OHAP is the one that's gonna bring that together. Like bring you know, if I was homeless, I could go into the OHAP office and receive all the services instead of me running around everywhere and, and to leverage Try federal to find and, and figure it out for myself and to leverage federal and NGO resources in order to making that happen leveraging uh, federal is correct right. federal and NGO and with Sarah's background and the commitment of the Leongaro Tenor administration you're going to see a lot of um, uh, federal grants being pursued when it comes to homeless shelters okay Therese we have beyond beyond the COVID dollars. Right. Priest, we have back on. He's been patient for about seven minutes. Is Joe, who called us earlier, and we lost him. Joe, are you still there? Hello? Okay. Sorry yeah. to keep you on okay, hold, so but so Therese and I were deep... Of, uh, some of the homeless might be veterans, and so you can get uh, funding from you know, veterans' uh, affairs, I think. Well, uh, there, are, there are programs like, for example, housing vouchers for veterans that are uh, run through Gura. And uh, for something like HPAC, which I mentioned earlier, there is technical assistance available by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs uh, uh, for those uh, for that program, which is also involved in a lot of data-based approaches, and so you have a continuous feedback for it. So you're right, there 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 are uh, grants available. I know uh, our colleague uh, 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 Tim uh, uh, from the Tuggan uh, from the Office of Veterans Affairs is busy pursuing a number of mo only for this purpose, but also to upgrade the. Uh, the maintenance of the Guam Veterans Cemetery. So yeah, that, that's what we're looking at, plus leveraging resources from NGOs. And, and then there's the issue of uh, uh, the CARES funding rate, uh, the CARES Act, of uh, U.S. citizens that are found homeless, uh, I think possibly the Congress to help fund uh, the shelter and other and programs. And there's also the issue of, uh, of the, uh, the, the COVA countries. Uh, we get serious and say, hey, these are cultural citizens and they're basically living on the streets, mm -hmm. uh, which I don't think is, is the standard. Maybe we can get the federal government to give us some money in regards to the cultural countries. Well, one of, the uh, issue, one of the issues which the Bureau has been tackling here is to improve the level of uh, reimbursement for the impact of the Compacts of Free Association, which has been a fraction of the actual uh, expense incurred by the community here. One of the challenges is has been posed by the federal government is to come up with a new methodology. This was stipulated in the General Accounting Office report of 2013 uh, that certain meet certain standards. And the bureau has been working with the University of Guam to come up with a new methodology uh, to calculate um, uh, 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 compact impact and, I agree. Uh, and, 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 and thereby strengthen our case to actually get some real compensation. But, but uh, I do want to bring up before before I. I but you'll go. Um, oh, that take your time. The, the, uh, regards to the, uh, uh, the a lot of attention wasn't paid to a bunch of these uh, issues dealing with uh, grants and and uh, you know funding, uh, not just the uh, homelessness or, or the but uh, other needs, yeah, mental health, 
but uh, the issue is, I think that we're all on lockdown, and and people are depressed, which ties into the mental aspect of it. You know, it's kind of like cabin fever. Mm-hmm. You know, for a whole year we're experiencing this cabin fever. If you're living stateside in wintertime, usually you, you're glad when the spring comes, right? That's like maybe mm-hmm. at the most five six months a year, mm-hmm. yeah, winter. But here we've been in lockdown for like a year, mm-hmm. so you know, you get a sense people are kind of de- they're, they're kind of frustrated, mm-hmm. and there needs to be more of a dialogue. Uh, so that, I just want to address that issue and. And any others, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just listen because there's other issues, but I think it's important what you're all bringing up. So thanks for your time. Appreciate no, it. No, thank you for joining us in the conversation. Teresa, in, in previous um, uh, appearances you had on the program, we have discussed the issue of uh, how uh, lockdown isolation, uh, isolation has also contributed to the stresses, uh, mental health stresses that um, have, uh, have fallen on your department to try and address, you know, uh, through the crisis hotline sure. under social services. Perhaps you could... You, uh, and, and of course, the lockdowns are being lifted uh, tremendously right now. We're really not in lockdown now. There are restrictions, like uh, for dining and, and building there's occupancy. There's restrictions. Yeah. There's no lockdown. There's no and, lockdown. And unfortunately, I think when COVID first started, uh, this idea of you know stay indoors was taken very, very literally. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, it was it was to minimize the footprint of interacting with people outside your household. So really, you could be outside in the yard, fresh, fresh breath, you know, taking fresh air, getting that sun that's always good for you. A little bit of sun, sunlight is always good. Um, but yes, um, when we first, when Guam and the world first locked down, it was an, a major immediate stay indoors. Mm-hmm. And as we got to know COVID and its and how it reacts we realize it's not necessary, you know, lock yourself in a room or in a house, but ne- but really, you know, wear a mask, watch your distance, and stay away from people outside your household. Right. That's right. really... So, so one of the things that we did at Guam Behavioral Health in the early days of the COVID is to, uh, when people said, you know, I'm, I'm used to seeing my family, I'm used to... Family is one thing, and people you live with is one thing, but people, you can, you have many families that don't live with you. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, as the statistics shows, it was the spread of family that made other family members sick from different households. Because, why? Because you might know what your household behavior is, but you don't know what your niece or nephew and who they interact with. Right. So, so um, that's why it was important that we as a community do everything simultaneously. If my house is being locked down, then your house needs to lock down. Because if we interact, I don't know what Thai and, you know, Thai house is doing. Or, you know, do they allow their friends over and barbecue and here I am, you know, all sanitized and you know so one of the things we needed to it was educational right so we told people yes you can yes you're limited in your movement but don't forget you can go outside you can sit in a lawn chair get some sunlight which is always more positive and you can walk around nothing stops people from walking around and getting fresh air but really the the key for the the depression was the isolation from other people 
social isolation, mm-hmm. which is so contrary to our community right. and our behavior as the Chamorro people or as a, as people from Guam. Right. The island just we're social. That's just the bottom line. We're social people, so we're used to having lunches and dinners, friends and family, and from people we don't live with. And, so and that's part of our support network, you know. Even absolutely. though we don't call it that, that's part of our so support network. So we needed quickly to find out as a community to adjust, and we we sure adjusted because all of a sudden everybody was talking internet and and face, you know, and zooming and FaceTime. But the realities are, a lot of our manamkos, our elderly, a lot of our people who don't have the ability and technology didn't have that coping mechanism. Mm. So somebody like you and I, we dealt with it better right. than somebody who didn't, right? So what if they didn't have an iPad? What if they don't have a computer? Heck, what if they don't have Wi-Fi? Right. You know, we, you and I, Ty, mm-hmm. and a lot of the working people, you know, You're we have, the digital divide. you know, internet, we have a laptop, we have these things. But the realities are, is the assumption that every house has it is mm-hmm. a wrong assumption. The digital divide. Yeah, as it's and it shows. Yeah. Yeah. Can oh, I yeah. tell you it shows? Because mm-hmm. look at the kids. Look at, look at kids going to school. I mean, if I'm not mistaken... There is a lot, you know, there's like hundreds of kids that still not part of the system. Locate because these are kids that are not really connected with internet and and so and, and, and I'm sure Teresa, you you've heard the story has internet you, and a laptop and, and, and Teresa, you know, I'm sure you've heard the stories of uh, you've heard the stories I had of kids who were like parking themselves out of Taco Bell or a shopping center just to access the internet. That's right. So you know, they might have a phone, to but they homework. need they need they need to go somewhere, and that somewhere has been locked out. It's been closed, right? Right. They, you know, they're going to hotel lobbies, um, you know, coffee shops. Right. You know, and, and, and people do that. I mean, because, you know, it doesn't cost them anything because it's a free Wi-Fi they pick up. But now you're, you're being told stay at home. What if your home doesn't have Wi-Fi? That's why you go to those coffee shops. So where's your connection, right? Where's your social connection? So that was that was some of the. That's obviously one of the hardest times at the beginning, when we were really, really restricted and told, you know. Uh, but that was necessary. Mm-hmm. That and, had to happen. And the fact is, is that you know it, uh, the inputs into suicide are always very complicated, and the uh, and although COVID added a new twist on it, it's it's really a matter of adding to certain other stresses and, and unless on a case by case basis you're not sure exactly what it contributed to an actual a case of suicide. You I'll, know, I'll give you I'll give you one honestly, example. A lot of people mm-hmm. uh, during COVID what what COVID did was heighten what right. they were already going through. Right. Somebody who was already depressed and probably already lonely, COVID heightened that. That's a um, good point. Yes, I, I'm not saying that COVID didn't start, you know, some people started feeling depressed just of COVID, of course. But I know for a fact also that COVID heightened the depression that people are already feeling pre-COVID. I, I think referring to heightening is a, is a, is a good description of, um, of, of how these things develop here. And, and I wanted to, 
as an anecdote to show how things can go, uh, can contribute to a result in a suicide for, you know, uh, reasons that uh, that um, that also almost come out of nowhere here. You know, there are two Capitol Police officers who have died uh, as a consequence of the domestic terrorism uh, attack on the Capitol uh, uh, last week here, you know, just prompted by uh, the live told by Donald Trump that he won an election that he lost by 8 million votes. But one of them was, uh, these police officers, Capitol Police officers died by being uh, bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher by Trump supporters. The other one, yeah. who was... Um, so sad is sad, sad. very and, sad. And the other... And it's not... You and I, we, we, we monitor the, new, the national news, and you, it doesn't surprise me that there are warnings out there about uh, inauguration protests. Mm -hmm. These guys are going to be more prepared, you know. Yeah. I have my the, own comments the, on why they weren't prepared, even though there was so much announcement and heads up, but... Well, they're going to be prepared. Before I get to that subject, I, I just want to cite the, the majority of the people of the United States. We do not condone bad behavior or terrorism, and this is domestic terrorism. Absolutely, so, absolutely. You know, and, when they, I mean, you know marching in the Capitol, chanting "Hang Mike, Mike, Mike Pence." What does every oath of office say? Protect, defend the Constitution foreign and, and domestic. domestic. You know, we don't just say foreign in the in the, the swearing in. And, and well, after the Civil War, to the federal oath, they added in, in, in good faith, you know, uh, because a number of people took those same oaths and ended up joining the Confederacy during the Civil War. But uh, just to, before I get off the subject, Teresa, the anecdote I want to mention is the other Capitol Police officer who died committed suicide. And before oh, the, yeah, the domestic yeah. terror, he was considered a very amiable and friendly sort of person, a defender certainly of the Capitol against the domestic terrorists. And he committed suicide shortly after. And the details of that are not out, but... Just to give you an example, here at the, at, at the nation's capital, at the center of, of power and authority of the U.S. Capitol, um, and, uh, and apparently not a COVID-related matter, but we don't know the details here, and then uh, and, and talk about something that probably heightened the stresses already there that may not have been apparent. Uh, again, all speculation, we don't know the details, but you, you, suicide comes from all sorts of... Um, uh, yeah. impetuses in this one here. Uh, which leads, which is a wonderful segue, um, Ty, mm -hmm. to, I mean, of course, I called to, to share the great news, right? Right. That we're part of the uh, National Suicide Prevention Hotline Network. Mm -hmm. But that, this conversation is a great segue to the fact that um, Guam Behavioral Health is hosting a town hall meeting. Oh. And I, and on suicide and um um just give me a second i am trying to pull it up well um, while while you're while you're uh, while you're uh, uh pulling this up therese i i want to just uh, uh, once again mention the uh the uh, uh crisis hotline there is the uh uh guam behavioral wellness crisis hotline at 647-8833 and thank to the efforts of Teresa and her colleagues in the Guam Behavioral Wellness Center. There is also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-825 um, uh, is that 55? Yes, 8255. 273-TALK. 273-TALK. Uh, resources are for those who uh, or know somebody who's, who's, who's troubled. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're just a phone call away from somebody a trained and uh, there to there to help. So uh, let's so go back. I found I found what the, the second uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about today, mm -hmm. and just wrapping up in a few minutes. 
So you know, we're, the topic is uh, suicide, and how do we how do we get our community? When I say our community, I mean every single person in our community. How do we get them to be prepared to identify the signs and comfortable enough to talk to somebody who is either expressed or are showing the signs of depression and possible suicide? So, Guam Behavioral Health, um, we're we're so blessed. We we have. Um, we were awarded last year a five-year grant called Focus on Life, and um, it's suicide prevention focus. And our we have a, a virtual town hall meeting on January 19th at 5:30 p.m. Anyone who would like to get be better prepared, better armed, trained. Anybody who wants to have their their family trained, their staff trained, um, you know, uh, please feel free to call Guam Behavioral Health at, at, um, and, and at 647-1901, and uh, we're more than happy to, to help you get there. But this town, town hall meeting will share the highlights of the grant, and we'll provide the community with updates about our grant, and we'll share with the community how people can seek out what what services Guam Behavioral Health has, which is a lot of training. So suicide prevention is about training as many people to identify the signs and being comfortable enough to talk to somebody to get the help they need. So um, I encourage everyone to. Uh, Please come to our virtual town hall meeting, when January 19th at 5.30. We have, um, it will be on our, our social media page, our Guam Behavioral Health Facebook page. It will be on our website, um, how to access the, the Focus on Life town hall meeting, which, gonna, which is going to occur next week. So it will be some sort of Zoom thing or Facebook uh, interaction thing, yes, right? So it will be something Zoom that people cannot know. It's already set up. So it, 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 January 19 at 5:30. So if you set up a platform, is it a Zoom meeting or or? or it is a Zoom meeting. Okay, and so it's in a other words, town hall. right? And so people will not only be able to view uh, the proceedings here; they'll be able to participate yes. uh, by uh, 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 through Zoom to uh, to uh, ask questions. It's of, not of just experts. a live audio. It's not a live session. It's an interactive. It's session. It's an interactive session, which is which is a sort the best sort of thing uh, we need here. Um, anyway, is there anything else you want to touch on in the remaining uh, five minutes of the program, Therese? No, I just want to. I, I just want to thank you, Ty, for always uh, allowing me to come on and share all the all the services that Guam Behavior Health has. We are not out of the woods, but we're definitely took a turn, and mm -hmm. I'm so so pleased as one of the healthcare providers, the departments uh, of our government. I am so pleased with the magnitude of people who um, who are comfortable in seeking the COVID-19 vaccine. As you know, we need to uh, vaccine two-thirds of our population to have true herd immunity. You know, by the way, this is, uh, can, can we find a, uh, it's community immunity. I came across that with uh, Annette Uggen last week. And I sort of like bludgeoned her to avoid that, that phrase because as you so know, hers, right? hers was community immunity. 
as opposed to immunity immunity yes let's we use need that one or 75 percent of our community to be vaccinated so we have true community immunity, immunity. yeah herd immunity herd immunity is something that doesn't work unless you kill a lot of people in the process doing it so uh so anyway yeah, thank you for that yeah i, I yeah that's, yeah. that's a good point <laughs> I but think we need to start just using the terminology community, community immunity, immunity. Yes. And so, uh, but we do. There's, but we're taking it. It's just great news that there's overwhelming people mm -hmm. want it. And so, um, I know that public health is doing a wonderful job in getting it out there. Trying circumstances. Uh, they're the fine-tuning their process, which I now believe is, it's all good. And you know, these things happen. Well, um, some of these are I'm growing. I'm sure they did not expect a, an overwhelming response, but now that they know there's overwhelming response, I understand that there's a numbering system now. Yeah. So that so many numbers are issued out in a day, and if you're not there, you don't get a number. At least you're not standing around all day just to be told, "Sorry, we're done." And, and you need so to. And the people process need to is appreciate. being fine-tuned, mm -hmm. and I'm just elated that so many people on Guam understand the importance of getting immunized. And, and, and people need to appreciate what Arts and Augustine's crew has done, is come up oh, with a full-fledged island-wide vaccination program from a standing start. Public health officials. You know, public that, health one is, that one is incredible. And everyone out there, because I'm telling you, all you need to do is tune on to national television and see that Guam is immunizing in a faster rate our COVID numbers are low while they're exploding across the country. I think, you know, uh, really, uh, they're not talking about mobilizing the U.S. military uh, for the vaccination program because it's, it's getting out of hand, not the least contributed by the inattention of our outgoing de defeated president, who seems right. more concerned well, about his election than he does for the American I am people. January 20th can't come soon enough. No, it can't. <laughs> no, it can't. I, was, I, was, I don't know if you caught me, but, uh, Teresa, I was commenting in the blocks here that you know, a lot has happened since my program last Tuesday. And God knows what we have to look forward between this program and next Tuesday. Right. You know, what, I, what fresh I, hell know, awaits us all? It seems like a lot of time, but a lot of, but it, it, it is. It is. A lot Think, of damage can happen. A lot of damage can happen, particularly with somebody whose fingers on the nuclear war codes. But, uh, oh, it, uh, so, you know, we just have to, you know, my last comment, Ty, is just as a community, let's just be good to one another. Absolutely. And let's live, let's live a life that is um, unselfish for the well-being and care for others. And if we do that with everybody else in mind, not ourselves, then we're going to all be making the right decisions and the right moves and, as a community. And I have to say, given this moment of, um, of challenge to the community for the COVID-19 crisis, I'm sure you agree with me, Therese, that we're very fortunate that we have a clinician as our uh, governor. And I, it's I, just meant to be. Just meant to be. And I have we to are also say. We have a healthcare provider as a leader. And, and, and so, I have to say, know, Therese. God bless uh, Governor Lulian Guerrero. God bless Lieutenant Governor Josh. God bless Public Health, Art, Harry, uh, Lori, and their team. Such dedicated uh, frontline workers every, from from all walks of life, from all departments, because this is a resource sharing that, you know, has come together to make sure that our community is, um, is taken care of. And so, And, and God know, bless again, you, Therese, and all you know, your colleagues. We're just so and, blessed. And God really bless you, are. Therese, and all your uh, colleagues in the uh, 
in the healthcare community who have been the forefront of dealing with COVID-19. Uh, we're succeeding now, because we have you guys at the helm, so thank you for your work. Bill and Lillian the, and at, at GMA, at GMA. Um, our partners, our clinics, our hospital, you know, Guam Medical Regional Hospital, I mean, they, yes. as a small community, we are, we are GMA.